Dear Father in heaven, as we look at your word, dear God, please let your spirit remain with us. I ask you once again, dear God, put your words in my mouth. I truly ask you to do that. I want no glory. Isaiah 42 verse 8 says, I am the Lord, that is my name. My glory will I not give to another. So Father, take the glory, but give us all the possible blessings. In Jesus' name we pray. Let God's people say, Amen and Amen. Ellen White makes a very interesting statement in God's Amazing Grace, page 271, paragraph 2. God's Amazing Grace, page 271, paragraph 2. And it says this, God requires that his servants should excel others in life and character. Now put that in your own words. What did I just say? Let me give it to you again. God desires or requires that his servants excel others in life and character. Put it in your own words, English of course, and tell me what you understand. We should be the best. Someone add to that. We should be the best in, we should be the best in, yes, in everything, in everything. God desires, requires that we be the best, we excel others in life and in character, so life means everything. The Adventist educational system should excel every other educational system on the face of the earth. The Adventist health system should excel every other health system. The Adventist family structure should excel every other family structure. The Adventist economic system should be more sound than any other economic system. We should excel others in life, everything that makes up life, and in character. That's a high... High, high expectation. One of the blessings God promises to those who obey him is that you shall be the head only and not the tail. The head only, which means in everything you'll be above. Let's go to Matthew 5. See how Jesus puts it. Matthew 5. Read from verse 17. Excellence in spirituality. Matthew 5, reading from verse 17. Did I give you the other quotation? It's Christian service, page 254, paragraph 2. I think I, okay, I gave that. All right. Matthew 5, 17 is familiar. What does it say? Think not that I am come to destroy the law of the prophets. I am not come to destroy, but to fulfill For verily I say unto you, till heaven and earth pass, one jot or one tittle shall in no wise pass from the law till all be fulfilled. Whosoever therefore shall break one of these least commandments and shall teach men so, he shall be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. Now finish the verse. And whosoever shall do what? 
teach and finish the verse, the same shall be called where? In the kingdom of heaven. Now, notice the next verse. Read that now. For verily I say unto you, unless or except, the King James Version, your righteousness shall do what? Exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, ye shall in no case, finish the verse, enter into, mm -hmm. now, spiritual excellence. Jesus says, if your level of righteousness does not exceed, you cannot be saved. Now, is God setting us up for competition? Absolutely not. But clearly, God has a standard for us that is so high that no other standard is higher. Except your righteousness shall exceed. The righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, ye shall in no case enter into the kingdom of heaven. Now, go to verse 21. What does that say? Come on, read it, read it, read it. Ye have heard that it was said by them of all time, what? Thou shalt not kill, go on. And whoever shall kill shall be in danger of the judgment. Go on. But I say unto you, that whosoever is angry with his brother shall be in danger of and whosoever shall say to his brother, Raka, shall be what? And whosoever shall say, Thou fool, shall be in danger of hellfire. Okay, wait a minute now. I want you to make a connection between verse 20 and 21 and 22. What does 20 say? I say unto you, except your righteousness does what? What does exceed mean? Go beyond, go above. What Christ is doing when he says, Ye have heard that it hath been said by them of old time, Thou shalt not kill, and whosoever shall kill shall be in danger of the judgment. But I say unto you, Whosoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. And whosoever shall say to his brother, Raka, shall be in danger of the council. And whosoever shall say, Thou fool, shall be in danger of hell fire. Now, let's listen carefully. Jesus said, You have heard. The saying, thou shalt not kill. For the Pharisees, that meant, don't kill how? Take a guess. For the Pharisees, how do you think they understood that verse? Thou shalt not kill. Don't what? Don't kill someone physically. Now, is it good to not kill people physically? Yes, I don't want to live. I prefer to live next to a man who kills people spiritually than physically. Are you with me? I prefer to live next to a man who only lusts after women and doesn't rape them. Even though both things are bad. Some are worse than others. For the Pharisees, thou shalt not kill men. Don't, kill some, don't shoot someone, cut off his head, throw him into a lake. Throw him into a quicksand. Don't do that. But Jesus wants to go deeper. He said, but I say unto you, whosoever is angry with his brother, without a cause, shall be in danger of the judgment. Now, Christ introduces a view of murder 
or killing or the sixth commandment, the Pharisees never saw. But what did he say in verse 20 to the, his disciples? Read it, read it, read it. Read it out loud. Unless your righteousness shall do what? Exceed what? The righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees. Now, Christ gives an example of the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees when he said, Ye have heard, it hath been said by them of all time, thou shalt not kill. That's their level of righteousness. Don't kill physically. What Christ is doing, he's given an example of righteousness that exceeds So he's saying, it is not enough not to kill physically. That's how they understand it. But I want you to exceed them in righteousness. You have to see it at the deeper level. You have to go deeper in order to rise higher. Don't even be unreasonably angry. Now, that's a different approach to killing. Because we realize we can kill people emotionally. If a teacher consistently tells a student, you are an idiot, you are a moron, you are dunderhead, you are numbskull, you will never learn, that is murder. You're killing someone's dreams and hopes. That's murder. That is righteousness that exceeds. Now, what I want you to see, when Christ said, except your righteousness shall exceed, to give examples of righteousness that exceeds, where does Christ go? Where does he go to get an example of righteousness that exceeds? Read verse 21. I want you to think. read verse 21. What does it say? You've heard that it was said by them of all time. What? Stop. What was said by them of all time? Thou shalt not kill. Where does that come from? Ten Commandments. Which one? Christ is saying, let me explain what I mean by righteousness that exceeds. He goes to the Ten Commandments. He picks one. This is more than just a physical prohibition. It is more than do not kill people physically. It means do not kill them emotionally, psychologically. Do not hold grudges against people. Don't destroy them from the inside. That's murder. So that to keep the, the sixth commandment properly, we have to watch how we treat people. We should not be the reason someone is discouraged and ready to commit suicide. We should not be the reason someone now hates the church and refuses to come to church. We should not be the reason someone is doing badly in school because the person is so discouraged by the way we have treated them. We should not be the cause of that. That's murder. That is righteousness that exceeds. What I'm trying to say is to give an example of righteousness that exceeds, Jesus went to the law. What does verse 24 say? 
Not 24, sorry, 27. What does 27 say? Ye have heard what? Them of all time, thou shalt not commit adultery. Now, where is Christ going again? To give an example of righteousness that exceeds. In other words, there is no higher example of righteousness than that which the law expresses. What Christ is saying, the righteousness that will save you is the righteousness expressed in the law. You've heard that it was said by them of all time, thou shalt not commit adultery. What's the next word? What's the next word? But. Contrast. I say unto you, whosoever, what? Looketh on a woman to lust after her has already broken the seventh commandment. Now that's a higher level so that in order to keep commandment seven, we have to be careful how we look at members of the opposite sex. So if you're a young man, here comes one of these young ladies with tight, tight pants, tight jeans, as though someone painted it on. And you have to watch your eyes. Mm-hmm. So nothing happens up here. That is righteousness that exceeds. Can you be disfellowship for lusting? No. Not from an earthly church, but from the church above. Can you go to prison in Malaysia for hating someone? No. But in God's prison, that's where you go because that's murder. Christ finds the highest example of righteousness in the Ten Commandments. Now, our subject is spiritual excellence. The most excellent life, then, is a life lived in conformity with God's law. Let's go to John 14. John 14, we shall read from verse 21. Our subject, spiritual excellence. John 14, reading from verse 21. John is my second favorite book. My favorite book is Genesis, the beginning of everything. Most Bible scholars believe the first 11 chapters of Genesis are not actual history. They're just myths. But you have to believe they actually happened because Jesus believed they happened. John 14, verse 21 says what? He that hath my commandments, go on, and keepeth them, stop. Everyone has the commandments. They know Moses got 10. In that sense, we all have the commandments. But that's not enough. What else does Jesus call for? Keep them. So he that hath my commandments and keepeth them, give me another word for keepeth them, one word, obey, yes. He it is that loveth me, and he that loveth me, what's the next word? Now it shall, present, past, or future. No, it shall, present, past, I shall be there. Is that present, past, or future? Future. Then there's something interesting in that verse. It says, and he that loveth me shall be loved of my father. Future. But does the father already love you? Yes. Then we are seeing that when you obey God's, there is a level of love 
revealed to you that's not revealed to the disobedient. Now, John 3.16 says, For God so loved, fill it in, the world. So there is a general love that the world enjoys from God. But there is an intimacy with God that is only reserved for the obedient. Listen again. He that hath my commandments and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me. And he that loveth me shall be loved of my Father, and I will love him. Future. And will manifest myself to him. Will, shall, will. Future. In other words, it's as if God is standing in heaven and he has a basket full of blessings for us, all based on obedience. Matthew 5, 44 says, For he maketh his son to rise on the evil and on the good, and sendeth rain on the just, on the unjust. I said that to say there are some things God does for everybody. Right or wrong? When the sun rises, does it rise only for the good? No. Does the rain fall only for the sinless? No. There are some things God does for everybody. Example. Are there murderers in Malaysia right now? Most of them in prison. Am I right? Did they wake up this morning? Who do you think woke them up? Mm-hmm. Who woke you up? What's the difference? He woke them up. He woke you up. No difference. But there should be a difference because you're a child of God that's a murderer who presumably is not. What am I trying to say? There ought to be things that God does for us he does not do for the general population. You can't have the sinner having the same blessings as the saint. There must be a higher level. And so Jesus says, he that hath my commandments... And keepeth them, he it is that loveth me, and he that loveth me shall be loved of my Father. And I will love him, and I will manifest myself to him. Many of us, we do not see Christ clearly because we are not obedient. Verse 22, what does that say? Read it. Verse 22, read it. Judas said to him what? Lord, how is it that thou wilt manifest thyself unto us and not to the world? Verse 23, what does Jesus say? If a man love me, he will keep my words. Keep reading. And my Father will, and we will come unto him and make our abode with him. All will, 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 based upon a condition. If you keep God's word or law or obey. There are blessings God only bestows on the obedient. There are blessings God bestows on everyone regardless of their spiritual condition, but there are some special blessings reserved for the obedient. Is God partial? Yes. Is God unfair? No. Are some angels higher than others? Yes or no? Ah, come on. Who's the highest angel in heaven? Gabriel. I ask you again, are some angels more powerful than others? Yes. Does that make God unfair? No. Was there an animal in the garden smarter than any other animal? Yes or no? Which was that? Mm. Was God unfair to the other animals? No. 
God has a system where some have more than others. Some are more powerful than others. Some are brighter than others. Actually, the Bible, not by L.O.I. says, the angels that function as generals or sergeants or leaders, they are taller than the angels they lead. <laughs> so among the, angel, the angelic army, the commanders are taller. Does that mean God hates the short angels? Mm-mm. He arranged that the way. Now, there are some blessings God only gives to the believers. Listen to this quotation from Ellen White. Desire of Ages, page 524, paragraph 1. When I read that, I couldn't believe it, but I believe it now. What book did I say? What page? Five what? 24, paragraph. Listen carefully. The Savior loves, helped, blessed all who sought his help. Let me say that again. The Savior, who's that? Bless all who sought his help when Christ was on the earth. He loves all the human family. But to some, he is bound by peculiar tender associations. His heart was knit by a strong bond of affection to the family of Bethany. And for one of them, his most wonderful work was wrought. What was that? Raising Lazarus. She's saying Jesus deliberately reserved his most amazing miracle for a family he was closest to. When you have a chance, which means today, read Desire of Ages, the chapter where it begins at page 524. See what she says about how Jesus loved to go to the home of Mary, Martha, and Lazarus because they listened to his word, they appreciated him, they obeyed him, and he knew he could speak freely. When he came to the multitudes, he spoke in parables. He treated them differently, but he loved all. Christ wants to speak to you plainly. To the multitude in parables. Let me say it again. Listen to me carefully. God is closer to some people than he is to others. Deliberately. It was even demonstrated among the disciples. On very sensitive and specific occasions, whom did Christ take with him? Which three disciples? Mm-hmm. He left the other nine. He loved them, but he had a special work for these men, a special connection possibly. He would take them with him. When he went to the Garden of Gethsemane to pray and to suffer, he came to the gate of the garden. He left eight of the disciples because Judas was gone. He took three with him further in to really see him in private agony. He only took Peter James and John, listen to me carefully. How close are you to God? Are you among the large multitude that's way back? Or are you among the Peter, James, and John that Christ always has right around him? Do you understand the privilege of Christ wanting to have you right next to him? There is too much satisfaction with general spirituality. What do I mean by that? I don't kill people. I come to church. I don't work on Sabbath. I don't take exams on Sabbath. I don't curse my mother. 
I don't sleep around, so I'm a good person. <clears throat> and please keep doing that. There is an excessive level of righteousness, except your righteousness shall exceed. Hmm. In the Old Testament, in the entire Bible, God was closer to the Israelites than he was to any other nation. Yet he loved all nations. Because he told Abraham, and in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. I say it again, God loved all nations. He was closest to the Israelites. Exodus 19, reading from verse 4, let's go there. Uh, subject, spiritual excellence. I'm not going to discuss sinlessness. I mean, that's too obvious. We should. I wanted to produce, uh, approach it from a different perspective. What does it take to be close to God, closer than other people are? We're not in competition. We just want to do what God wants. Exodus 19, reading from verse 4. When you found it, say amen. All right, some of you are still looking. Exodus 19, reading from verse 4. You've seen what I did unto the Egyptians. And how I bear you on eagles' wings and brought you where? Unto myself. Now, listen to the verse again. Read it with me. Read nice and loud. Ye have seen what I did unto whom? What was it he did to them? Hmm? Ten plagues. What happened to their army? Destroyed, drowned. How many of them? Every single one. Now God says, ye have seen what I did unto the Egyptians, and how I bear you on eagles' wings and brought you unto myself. Now how many nations are in that verse? Two, name them. The Egyptians and the Israelites. Whom did God bring unto himself? The Israelites. Did he hate the Egyptians? Now, therefore, if ye will obey my voice indeed and keep my covenant, then it shall be a peculiar treasure unto me. Verse 5. What are the next few words? Come on, nice and loud. What are the next few words? Above, go on, all people. God says, that was Jesus speaking, you will be special to me above every other nation. But the condition was, if you will obey my voice indeed and keep my covenant, then the result is, in other words, closeness to God is inseparably connected to obedience to God. Spiritual excellence, what am I saying? The foundation of spiritual excellence is a willingness to do whatever God says, obey God. See the results produced in the life. Now therefore, if you will obey my voice indeed, and keep my covenant, then ye shall be a peculiar treasure unto me above all people, for all the earth is mine. Go to Exodus 20. Let's read verse 26 of Exodus 20. Do you have that? Someone on this side. What does it say? Nice and loud. And Exodus 20, verse 26. 
Not Exodus, Leviticus, sorry, Leviticus. I keep doing that to you. Leviticus 20:26. Read that. It's almost 12 o'clock. All right, what does that say? And ye shall be holy unto me. Keep reading. For I, the Lord, am... Stop. What moral condition is expressed in that verse? Give me one word. Holiness. What does God say? You must be what? Why? Because I'm holy. Are you with me? You must be holy because I'm holy. Finish that verse and have severed you. Keep reading nice and loud. From other people. Why? Yes. What does sever mean? Sever. If you sever your finger, what have you done? You cut it off. And you've cut it off. You have severed it from your body. God says, and ye shall be holy unto me. For I, the Lord, am holy and have severed you cut off from other people that ye should be mine. Now, here's another condition for righteousness that exceeds. You must be cut off from the world. You can't dress like the world. You can't eat like the world. You shouldn't speak like the world. You shouldn't date like the world. You shouldn't spend your money like the world. You shouldn't go places like the world. God said, I have cut you off. So that you may be mine. Without that cutting off, you can't be mine. Look at Genesis 19.4. You've seen what I did unto Egyptians and how I bear you on eagles' wings and brought you unto myself. Egypt representing the world of sin. I have brought you out of the world of sin to me. You could not be mine while you were in Egypt. Got to get you out. Another condition for righteousness that exceeds a separation from this world. Cut off. For too many Christians, the world is attractive. Many Christians follow Jesus this way. We put one hand in the hand of Jesus, or both hands, but while he's pulling us along, we're looking back. Oh, I just miss the parties. I just miss the drinking. I just... <laughs> you see, the world is not out of the heart. Every time the Israelites ran into trouble in the wilderness, what did they want to do? Go back to Egypt. That's one reason God told them, don't keep horses. <laughs> you can get on them and ride back. Don't keep horses. My brothers and sisters, do you realize the standard God has for you? As we talk about spiritual excellence. Someone recite for me Genesis one twenty six. I said recite. I didn't say look. Someone who has a Bible and has read it at least twice in the lifetime. Recite Genesis 1.26, at least the first sentence, or the first two sentences. Nice and loud. Who will do it? <laughs> Don't make me cry. Somebody give me at least the first two sentences of Genesis 121, 1.26. And God said, let us make man in our image after our life. Mm, stop. That expresses God's job description for you. Everything you and I do, 
for you and me, it must reflect the image of God. That is righteousness at a higher level. God did not make us for ourselves. He made us for himself. Conflict and Courage, page 21, paragraph 5. God created man for his own glory. Then the life man lives must glorify God. If my life does not glorify God, I am living for the wrong reason. I have no right to live. You didn't get what I said. Let me say it differently. Go to Jeremiah 1. Jeremiah 1. We read verses 4 and 5. We read from uh, Conflict and Courage, page 21, paragraph 5. God created man for his own glory. That's why man was made. Now, we read in Genesis 1, 26, and God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. Same thing. Now, where are we now? What book? What chapter? One, what verse? Verse 4 and verse 5. Then the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Before I formed in the belly, I what? And before thou camest forth out of the womb, I did what? Sanctify thee, what else? And ordain thee, what? A prophet to the nations. Now, why did God give Jeremiah life? Why did God give Jeremiah life? Look at the verse 5. What did God say? Before I formed in the belly, I knew thee. And before thou camest forth out of the womb, I did two things. I sanctified you in the womb. What else? I ordained you for what reason? Now I ask you again, quiz question. Why did God give Jeremiah life? To be a prophet to the Israelites. Or the Jews in Jerusalem. Mm -hmm. If Jeremiah had decided to be an accountant, he would have been living a fraudulent life. He would have had no right to live. Let me put it bluntly. When you live contrary to God's will, you have no right to live. Because if you're contrary to God's will, then you're attacking God. Anything contrary to God is an attack on God's system. Because Jesus said, he that is not with me, finish it, is against me. A life that does not support the will of God is a life that attacks and undermines the will of God. And such a person should not live. God created man for his own glory. I finished Conflict and Courage, page 21, paragraph 5. That after test and trial, the human family might become one with the heavenly family. That was God's intention. I want to make them one with me. I can't imagine the results of that union. It was God's purpose to repopulate heaven with the heavenly family if they would show themselves obedient to his every word. God wanted after time to take the human race and unite it with the divine family. Not the angels, the human race. <laughs> Ministry of Healing, page 397, paragraph 1. Ellen White writes this remarkable statement. Next to the angelic host, the human family formed in the image of God 
were the most noble of his creation. Now, as Adventists, do we believe there are people on other worlds who have never sinned, yes or no? Yes. We call them the unfallen worlds. Ellen White is saying, when God made us, he made us higher than them. The only created beings higher than us when we were made were the angels. In our creation, that's why Psalm 8 verse 3 says, for thou hast made them a little lower than the angels. Now the Hebrew word for angels there is actually God's Elohim. We were made a little lower than God's. And Summer Elwhite writes, those who lived before the flood were only a few steps from God. Even though they were sinners, they were so powerful, they were so intellectually mighty, Elwhite says they were just a few steps from God. What am I trying to say? God has always had as his ambition for us the highest quality of life possible to a created being. And so the Bible says, Thou hast made him a little lower than the angels, but we live as though we were made a little lower than the animals. My brothers and sisters, God's desire for you and for me is that our lives will be lived at such a level of righteousness and spirituality that when people see us, they will literally be looking at Jesus. Because when Jesus came in your form, with your nature in mind, he said to Philip in John 49, he that has seen me, finish it, I've seen the Father. Now that's the words, that was the relationship Jesus had with the Father. He reflected the Father perfectly. Now we must have the same relationship with Jesus reflecting him perfectly. Now, if A looks like B and B looks like C, finish it. You see the same? So if the Father, if Jesus looks like the Father and we look like Jesus, finish it. We look like the Father. That's the level of spiritual excellence, reflecting the very character of the Father. That's what God wants. Even with the carnal nature that we have, not as a ruling power, the ruling power must be the Spirit. Let me say it again. God, let the Bible tell you more effectively than I can. Let's go to 2 Peter chapter 1. Let's read verse 4. I'll finish in five minutes. Second Peter chapter 1, reading verse 4. Have you found it? All right. Some people are still looking desperately for Second Peter chapter 1, verse 4. If you've all found it, say amen. Read with me now, nice and loud, whereby are given unto us. What? Exceeding great and precious promises that by these, what? We might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. We are to be partakers of what? The divine nature or character of God. We must, not a nature similar to it, we must have the same character. Go to Hebrews, a few books to the left of Second Peter. Second Peter, First Peter, James, and Hebrews. 
Hebrews chapter 10. Is it 10? That may be. No, 12. Hebrews 12, verse 10. Hebrews 12, verse 10. Speaking of parents and children, you have Hebrews 12, 10. What does it say? For they, verily for a few days, meaning earthly parents, chasten us, what? After their own, but he for our own profit, that we might be what? Of his holiness. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 4 says, we must partake of the divine nature. Hebrews 12, 10 says, we must partake of his holiness. Not the holiness of Gabriel. That's not high enough. Did you hear what I just said? We must have, we must meet a level of holiness that is reflected not in Gabriel, but in God. And that must be done while we're in human flesh. Many Adventists don't believe that. So what you don't believe, you never achieve. My young friends, if you submit your life to God without reservation, if you make his word the chief choice on the menu of your spiritual life, if you make that surrender to God day by day, every day, God will bring you to the place where the life you live spiritually will be the same life Jesus lived. A life with, it expresses a righteousness that exceeds. You're not in competition. You're just trying to do what God wants. God wants you to reflect him in everything. When Jesus stilled the storm on the Galilee, the disciples in the boat asked a question in Mark chapter 4, I think it was verse uh, 41, the last verse of that, Mark 4. What manner of man is this? That's what the world must say as we come close to the ideal. What kind of people are they? Seventh-day Adventists. Seventh-day Adventists. Who, when they understand the message given to them, who, when they understand the historic calling, who, when they understand why God raised them up, will reach a level of development spiritually that will have them reflecting the very face of Jesus. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, God has been waiting thousands of years for his character to be produced in people perfectly. Ellen White writes, in every age, there have been some people who obeyed God perfectly. In every age, a person over there, a person over here. But the, uh, the time must come when that reflection must be seen in an entire people. That is the end time people that will be on the earth when Christ comes back. Reflecting the very image of Jesus. If God spares my life long enough, I'd like to be among them. Mm -hmm. A people who hate sin perfectly love righteousness. Many Christians love sin and hate righteousness. Because a lot of Christians love church. They don't love God. 
As I said, was it yesterday? Most people go to church to attend a service, not to worship God. Two different things. They go to be in a praise team. They go to do whatever. Not to worship God. Because the basis of worship is obedience. That's why Jesus said, This people draweth nigh unto me with their lips, but their hearts are honoreth me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Howbeit, in vain do they worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. The basis of worship is obedience. All right, let me pause or close, I should say. I hope I've said something today, excellence in health, spiritual excellence, that will remain with you. If you don't desire that, ask God to put the desire on your heart. The carnal nature does not desire a spiritual life. Understand me clearly. The carnal nature does not feel sorry for sin. The carnal nature does not confess. The carnal nature does not repent. The carnal nature does not desire righteousness at all. God has to put that desire in us from the outside in, you see. Any desire to do right is a gift from God. Let me say it again. If you have the smallest desire to do right, that desire was placed in you and me by the grace of God. Then we have to act on it. And so may God bless you, my young friends, so that you realize that your age, do you know a spiritually upright young man is more impressive than a spiritually upright older man? Do you realize that? You take a young boy, my young brother here, 19, 20, whatever, and he's upright. Then let's say I'm upright. But people can say, well, this man has lived most of his life. He's already sown his wild oats. He should be upright. This young fellow has his whole life ahead of him, and he's upright now. Ooh, that's impressive. You have no idea the effect you can have on people by being upright young people. The power you can exert. Mm-hmm. That's why many people, when they go door-to-door trying to get money, they take little children with them. When that little child knocks, you're not going to close that door. Are you listening to me? Jehovah's Witnesses like to bring their little children with them. When they knock, you cannot close the door on that little child in a little suit. Good morning, sir. Um, whatever. Because a little child in a suit going door-to-door, that is impressive regardless of the church. When that mother sent me that text last night, her son memorized Daniel 9, he's five. Can you, now, if I stood and, mem- and recited Daniel, uh, you oh, okay, that's nice. But if a five-year-old boy recites the book of Daniel, you drop what you're doing, your jaw drops. You say, what? You are in a position to exert a greater spiritual force than I am because of your age. And what do you do, or most young people? Let me be wild now. The very time when you can be most powerful spiritually is the very time young people say, let me be wild and live in the parties and you know, drink and smoke and sleep around. And let me do that now. When you've had many decades of that, you're sick and tired, you come to God. No impression. No impression. May the Lord bless you and open your eyes to the possibility that you in your youth can represent God so perfectly that your very presence is a spiritual blessing to those around you. Let's bow our heads. Our Father in heaven, we thank you today, God, you never change your standards. Ellen White writes, Why cannot they who claim to understand the scriptures see that God's requirement under grace is just the same he made in Eden, perfect, 
obedience to his law. <clears throat> that high standard you set for Adam is still the same. It's for us. Through Jesus Christ. Please God, put into our hearts a love for righteousness. A love for right doing and an absolute hate for sin of every size and shape. Bless my young friends, dear God. Bless them. Break the hold the devil may have on them. Give them a love for your word, a love for church, a love for spiritual songs, a love for good health, a love for moral cleanness. Bless all the other sessions, Father. As we partake of the lunch, let us do so with the consciousness that food is a blessing from you in a world where so many people go hungry. And bless the afternoon sessions, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.